Welcome into another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. Before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. With me being a Brooke College student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them. No Copyright Music. We are officially at episode 24, and last week we had the legendary 16-time NHRA Funny Car Champion John Force on the show. That was one of the most incredible and just fun interviews you'll ever have. John is always very true to his word, very a very outspoken human being, but we love him for that. Just all of his insight, his almost hitting a cow story, all that stuff. If you haven't listened to that yet, you should uh, go back one previous episode to episode 23, John Force Interview. But today, we have a special 2021 IndyCar season preview, and who better to preview that than someone who's in the pits every single week of the season. IndyCar pit reporter Ryan Moran joins the show to talk about everything 2021. Besides IndyCar Radio, Moran is a pit reporter for SRO Motorsports America, along with being a reporter slash podcast host for the popular SportsCar365.com. Moran is a graduate of DePaul University and has ascended as one of the top young broadcasters in motorsports. On the show today, we discuss everything about the 2021 season, from who our favorites are for the Indy 500 and the championship, who takes a big leap this season, and who's on the hot seat, and so, so much more. So sit back, relax. Grab your favorite snack and enjoy the 2021 IndyCar Season Preview. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? Sorry, I got got a guest here you weren't anticipating. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) How are you doing today? Doing great. Good to talk with you. So what is your what is your whole setup look like? I know you have like the headset with the microphone or how much does that cost by the way? This oh boy, I got this uh, a few years ago. So when I started sorry, I gotta get rid of this cat. <laughs> when I started uh working with Sports Car 365, I was uh working at a radio station at the time, and so I just used our stuff that we had at the station to record our podcast and things like that. But when I when I kind of went full time with that and moved back to Indianapolis, I bought this mixer and the headset. I probably between with two headsets and the mixer, it was probably three or four hundred dollars that I put into it. Yeah. And I'd say it's paid itself off at this point. It's been I guess five years now and mm-hmm. uh taking this stuff all over the world with me for various projects. So <laughs> it's been good. You can't go wrong with that. Um, also, I see no. Manning in the background there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, got the office here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my pride and joy, though, is my first IndyCar radio fire suit. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and everybody who was on the broadcast with me my first year, I got to sign it. So, that, that I spent, I probably spent more money on that frame then I've spent on broadcasting equipment and that's saying something. I would do the same thing. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, you know, starting off, you know, how have you been doing? Uh, I saw that you're in Sonoma for SRO. How was that? It was great. Good to be back at work. Um, it's, it's a long off season and it's an important time because I spend it just updating my notes. I've started this note-taking system three or four years ago and it's kind of taken over my life to some degree but uh it's it's a crucial time to make sure i stay on top of things but you know you you get antsy to get out to the racetrack again and 
it certainly was was good at, to to get out there and see some friends and and get get to work and actually step into a, a new role this weekend this past weekend which was fun and play-by-play was the new role and how how did that go overall do you think well, it's really up to others to decide that, I suppose, in this line of work. But uh, as far as I'm aware, nobody's told me anything uh, too terribly negative yet. It seems to have been fairly well received and the, the bosses were happy. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, it, it went about as well as I could have hoped. My normal analyst wasn't there this weekend, had a bit of a medical issue last minute. And so that left us scrambling. But we found a way to, to make it work and, and had some fun with it and uh, all things considered i think for a first weekend it came out all right definitely and um and uh, yeah moving on how did you get into racing to begin with was were like your parents like into it or how did that kind of start off yeah my my dad was a race fan for sure and growing up in indianapolis the indianapolis area racing is such a big part of the local community so uh, my dad was an IndyCar fan primarily, but we kind of watched some NASCAR as a kid and, and things like that. And and the whole family has some connection to the Indianapolis 500 or the sprint car community. And it's just such an intrinsic part of this part of the country. So with all that said, um, it, it's always been something I've been interested in, but never really realized that it's something I can make a career out of until I got to college and was pursuing broadcasting. And at that time, found out that's where my passion lay and it's where I, I wanted to focus my attention. It took several years to get there, but it's been uh, about all I've, I've done. I've done a little bit of stick and ball broadcasting in the last few years, but, but racing has been the, the main focus. I'm sure this looks like you're a big Jeff Gordon fan. Um, <laughs> as a, as a... <laughs> I was, I still am to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I've always been a Tony Stewart fan for a number of years. That's what kind of got me into it. And, Sure. You know, then um, getting into the IndyCar side the past couple of years, and I'm like, wow, I actually want to, you know, do this as a career. So, you know, this kind of, you watch a lot of faces, and then you realize, oh, you can make this into a career, and you just kind of try and find any way that you can. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. Um, so, what would you say is your all-time favorite racetrack that you've been able to go to? That's a uh, it's a tough one. I have to break it into categories because I think the, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to me is is the best oval and Spa is my favorite road course that I've been to. Got to go there for the 24 hours of Spa a couple of years ago and was the overnight pit lane announcer on the on that broadcast. And, and it was absolutely incredible. So I think those two are at the top of the list and I had a hard time separating them. But Road America certainly deserves some consideration. Um, Lamont and Sebring are both outstanding. I think the best street course is Long Beach. I love going to Long Beach, and, and that's, that's right there at the top. And I think maybe for a short track, I, I really like Kokomo. I got up there a couple summers ago to see some sprint car racing just as a fan, and, and that was pretty neat. But I need to expand that a little bit. I did get to Eldora for the King's Royal one time. I'd love to get to Knoxville for the Knoxville Nationals, and I'd love to get to the Chili Bowl. Uh, those two are way, way up there on the bucket list. Definitely the Chili Bowl, especially just that's always been a really marquee yeah. event that it's just so different from any other event that you can possibly go to for a race fan. Yeah, exactly. I got a buddy who is from Tulsa, another broadcaster, and, and we worked together early in our careers. And we've been talking for years since 2012 about finding a way to get there. And it just hasn't worked out yet. But one of these days we'll do it. 
yeah, I'm hoping to get there one of these days. Um, moving on to like IndyCar season preview, um, starting off some of like the off-season moves, seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson moving over. That's a big move. Uh, Scott McLaughlin coming from sports cars, coming in full-time. Um, you know, Felix Rosenquist moving over to Arrow, McLaren, and Roman Grosjean coming over from Formula One for couple you know a couple races um just in your eyes just who do you feel just like out of all the driver moves that kind of happened what do you feel who benefits the most from like these changes well actually i had an answer figured out for this but i've i've changed it slightly since the, the way you introduced it i think the fans are the biggest beneficiaries from some of these moves this rookie class we'll never see another rookie like class like this again it's so exciting to see this kind of crossover in motorsports, and and to me, that's something I'm always fascinated in. How does someone who grew up doing stock cars do if they come and try sports cars or a sports car driver going to open wheel or whatever the case may be? I love seeing that because to me, the best drivers are those that can cross over, that can be fast in any type of car on any type of track on any given day. We just don't see as much of that in this day and age, but maybe there's a sea change happening. It does seem like there's more of that in recent years than we've seen in the past. And I hope that's the case. I, I hope that sponsors and teams and manufacturers find ways to make this happen because in my opinion, motorsports has been too factionalized in the last 15, 20 years. The infighting has done no one any good and a high tide lifts all boats. I think if we can find more ways to cooperate as motorsports, a greater entity rather than just NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, sports cars, whatever, I think that that we all benefit. But as far as the individual drivers and teams go, I think the big winners here are Alex Pillow going to Ganassi from Dale Coyne. I was surprised to see that move. I thought Alex was promising in his rookie season, but this is a, a big vote of confidence from Chip Ganassi to go out and hire him. I think he's going to be feeling some pressure to perform given what Chip has invested in him. And then the other the other beneficiary is going to be AJ Foyt Racing getting Sebastian Bourdais full time. We already saw the benefits of that at St. Pete at the season finale last year, and I think they're going to punch above their weight from time to time this year based on that St. Pete performance. Definitely, and I think I was going to go with Felix Rosenquist, who Alex Below replaced at Chip Ganassi Racing, and yeah, you know, I know consistency was a big issue for that whole entire team over the past couple of years, you know, they'd have some runs with guys like Ed Jones back a couple of years ago, Felix Rosenquist. And I, I feel like just, he needs a fresh start um, overall. And I mean, that Ganassi number 10 cars has almost been like a revolving door in a way for drivers the past couple of years. And I feel like, I mean, being under in the limelight, like underneath Scott Dixon doesn't help that as much. And I think, you know, Chip Ganassi's motto, I, I like winners. <laughs> that doesn't help this like here's like the the standard per se. And I feel like Rosenquist, you, you get to pair up with Pato Award, who stunned a lot of people last year. And I feel like that'll be a great just running combo all season long. Yeah, I've got some thoughts on Felix for a future topic that I, I know you've got on the list. So I'll save those for that. But to your point about the pressure that comes with jumping in and joining Ganassi and and running in that 10 car alongside Scott Dixon. I, I, that's why I'm a little worried for Alex Pillow. I hope he's prepared for everything that comes with it. I think he's at least had the benefit, which Felix did not have, of having a season in IndyCar to kind of get an understanding of that dynamic, at least from the outside. 
he seems to have the right attitude for it. I think he can seize this opportunity. I think he's very good. I mean, the fact that he nearly won the Super Formula Championship as a rookie speaks volumes. That is an incredibly difficult championship that, unfortunately, it's hard to follow here in the States. But uh, from folks that I know who do cover it, they were very impressed with what he did there. And again, I thought he showed flashes last year. And I'm excited to see what Alex can do in the 10 car. He did a lot of good stuff just with coin and I mean, you, I, I didn't really hear about him until he had the first initial, you know, year or, you know, this past mm-hmm. year. And just that run of road America, especially really stuck out the fact you were able to basically flex your muscles with like the top teams and be able to hold your own. And he had a lot of good runs overall. And on completely new tracks, different car, different engine, different tire. That's a huge part of it. The, the Firestone is by all accounts a lot different than, the Pirelli rubber that typically is used in Europe or or whatever, is it Hancock? I can't remember what's used in, in Super Formula. They may even have a tire war. So apologies for, for my uh, ignorance on that subject. But that, that's one thing that is always difficult for rookies coming in. And, and I thought, like you said, he, he definitely punched above his weight from time to time. And uh, I'm, again, excited to see what he can do. But But this whole grid is fascinating. I think there's maybe a handful of cars and drivers you would point to and say, it would be stunning if they won a race, but it's it's just two or three. And, and that's what Indy, makes IndyCar so fascinating. Week in and week out, you just don't know who's going to cycle to the front. And my big question, I just thought about this last second, was Jimmy Johnson. I'm sure the people on the NASCAR side, they're going to be, well, what's he going to do? You know, that kind of thing. But that's such a big that's such a big hurdle to jump over from a stock car to a you know an open-wheel car and what are, your, what are your thoughts on just how long is it going to take for him to really adapt to everything? Well, I think let's all temper our expectations. For one thing, the, the tail end of his NASCAR career certainly weren't his best years. And I think it's safe to say that maybe a little bit of what made Jimmy so great has tapered off over the last couple of seasons, as it happens to everybody. But he, of all people, seems to be very aware of the challenge that he has embarked upon and has been realistic in his expectations. In every interview I've read or heard talking about recognizing the talent of the rest of the field, of his experience gap, and he's done everything he can to try and alleviate some of those challenges. Running sports cars more is going to be at the 12 Hours of Sebring here, in addition to what he did at Daytona and a couple other sports car races this year. That's not an Indy car, but it's close, right? Similarly, going out and running Formula 3 cars just to get extra experience in the open-wheel car, get used to driving a downforce car and more of a momentum car than, than what the, the NASCAR vehicle, as he likes to call them, uh, has been the last few years. So I don't know. I think if he can finish mid-pack, especially in the first half of the year, he's doing something right. It's going to be a real challenge for him, and I hope that his sponsors – and his fans are patient because this is going to be a transition. And I'm glad that they're committed to two years because I think it might take until that second year, until we start to see some flashes, even though he's with one of the best teams around, even though the, the, the entry is going to be very well funded. And of course his talent is, is uh, quite obvious. So uh, let's all be patient with him and enjoy the ride. It seems like he's ready to have some fun with, with this and, and really throw himself into the deep end. And I give him all the credit in the world for doing that. I go let's help overall the entire sport just, you know, bring more attraction and, you know, and you can't help but love to see a seven-time champion come over and want to just join the series. 
Oh, it's amazing. And we, I never would have expected anything like this, but it's, it's absolutely huge. And this is what I was talking about earlier. This kind of crossover is good because it brings attention from people who maybe never gave IndyCar a shot before, and maybe they're coming for Jimmy, but I suspect they'll stay for Scott Dixon and Patu Award and Alexander Rossi and Colton Herta and just name the names. It seems to me that more, if, if people see what IndyCar racing is about, especially here in the last five years or so where the competition level has skyrocketed, um, I, I think they'll like what they, what they see. And, um, you know, that's true for other forms of the sport too. We saw a big boost in viewership for the Rolex 24 at Daytona. I think Jimmy Johnson and Chase Elliott had a lot to do with that as a matter of fact. So hopefully that continues throughout the IndyCar season, even if Jimmy isn't running towards the point again, week in and week out. And it's kind of moving on. It was announced with NBC Sports Network that they'd be shutting down after 2021 and moving a lot of their programming to, you know, uh, their streaming service, Peacock, uh, with contract talks. I believe they're underway. Uh, what, do you, what do you feel that IndyCar should do with that? And it is a tough time and a time of transition. We've been talking for, it seems like, five years or so about when is the time to ditch the traditional model and go the streaming model. It seems like that is the way of the future, but at least as of now, it seems like sponsors still value the TV viewership beyond just what you might get from, from streaming. And don't forget that the TV contract is still a source of income for IndyCar. It's not like IMSA, which frankly is paying to be on television. IndyCar is being paid to be broadcasted. It might not be huge. It's not NASCAR numbers for sure, but that's not nothing. And that definitely helps the bottom line of the series. So I think it's in their best interest to shop it around to some degree, see if there is interest out there that at least can be used to leverage a greater rights fee. I still think that having some presence on television is important. I would be very wary of having races behind any kind of paywall. I don't think that that time is here yet. But as long as you're going to be paid to be on television, I still think that there is value in it. Although it might be wise to keep this contract on the shorter end because uh, flexibility, I think, is going to be of the essence as we get into the next four or five years or so. I, I anticipate the media landscape is going to change a great deal. I, I love the way that I love just the NBC and IndyCar relationship that we've seen the past couple of years. It seems like they're doing a lot better job and just just promoting everything and just, um, you know, you'll have guys like Mike Tirico interview, like a James Hinchcliffe on one of his shows uh, weekly, or I just feel like overall they're doing a lot better job than what an ESPN, ABC type of thing they've done over the years. Um, yeah. It, they're good at just saying, Hey, there's a week on the race this weekend and that kind of thing. But, and it also helps that six out of the first eight races this year on the big, you know, NBC. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, streaming services continue to, you know, become more popular and they're going to be the go-to, uh, you know, looking forward, but it's, it's kind of like puts them in a tough spot. And I think a lot of what will help a lot of if IndyCar is able to just promote their drivers more and promote the series more just on the social media end. I've always been kind of critical on how their just promotion of drivers are. And I feel like if they got bought more into that, whether I know like Joseph Newgarden, he does a lot of great promotions with the admit one on YouTube, that kind of thing. And I think if we're able to see that more with just IndyCar itself, then I think that'll just help propel the broadcasting side. 
I hope so. I think you're you're on to something. I think there are ways still to to leverage social media that that IndyCar isn't at the moment. I'd like to point out that my IndyCar radio former colleague Dave First is in a role now with IndyCar that will have him kind of overseeing some of those projects. And I have noticed in the last few months more content than we've seen in the past. And I think it's also worth noting it's going to be a bit more difficult this year than a normal year. There's still going to be limitations about access to things. The the masks, while necessary, are not ideal for exposing fans to drivers. It's important to see the face, I think, in a lot of instances. And so anyway, it, it, there's going to be some challenge with it, challenges with that still. And, and budgets are always going to be part of that challenge equation, too. But I have hope that that, that can be leveraged. And, and hopefully, like you said, six of the first eight races on Big NBC, that is a real opportunity to build some momentum going into the Indy 500 and beyond. And back to the TV ride side of things, the best thing IndyCar can do is deliver big ratings. Improvements continue to trend the right direction when so much in the TV landscape and the TV sports landscape in particular is going the other direction. That makes you all the more valuable to NBC, which, by the way, is in the middle of reevaluating a lot of its sports properties because they're going to be bidding on the NFL. We expect the NFL contract to be as big or bigger than ever before, which means probably uh, we've seen quotes from NBC execs, less money to go around for other properties. So anything IndyCar can do to show its value is to its benefit, especially this year, because like we'll talk about for drivers, it is a contract year in many cases for the series as a whole. And as you mentioned, the contract year, uh, there are a couple of drivers that who in a contract year and uh, could potentially be moving elsewhere. There's Brian Hunter Ray and Will Power specifically. They're in contract years. Uh, who do you feel to, you know, whether it's those guys or anyone else, who do you feel is kind of on the hot seat right now going into next year as well? I think there's quite a few of them, and that's going to make the season even more exciting. You mentioned those two names, and uh, we believe Simon Pagino was in the last year of his deal. He was noncommittal when asked about it at IndyCar Media Day, Content Day here recently. Really didn't want to go into those discussions, but that's our understanding. Um, I think you have to look at a guy like James Hinchcliffe, who we believe is on a one-year contract with an option, but we'll see. And as James knows well, contracts are worth the paper that they're written on, and that's about it, right? Uh, If a team wants to move on, they do. And I would say Alex Pillow is one, too, because uh, Ed Jones, I go back a couple of years, got a similar call-up from Dale Coyne to join Chip Ganassi Racing and ended up there for just a year as effectively a placeholder. And, and I don't think that's the future for Alex. I thought when Ed was hired that he was probably just holding that seat until Felix Rosenquist could uh, get out of his Formula E contract because he had been long sought after by Chip Ganassi Racing. I don't think this is quite the same situation, but all of those drivers, Pagano, Power, Hunter Ray, Connor Daly is another one, and all of that is contract and sponsor-specific, uh, independent. If, if the Air Force continues to be happy, then he'll probably stay where he is, but he's going to need some results, and, and last year was not a great year in the Carpenter car. He was pretty good in the Carlin car on the Ovals. But, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of drivers, big-name drivers, that have some pressure on their shoulders, and that's going to make it fun to, to monitor over the course of the season. I thought of a couple of drivers, like you mentioned, Hinchcliffe. He, I've always, I mean, I've always been a really good, you know, fan of his. But it, I feel like there's a lot of times where you think something's going to go right, and then it's just, it's not consistent, just in terms of his case. And obviously, Daly, I think as well has been, 
he runs really well, like you mentioned, with Carlin on the ovals. And there's just a lot of promise with these guys. But I think a lot of times, this the consistency that you just get kind of frustrated by just watching and that kind of thing. Well, and Daly, I think, was a victim to some degree of Rena's VK's success because VK stepped in as a rookie and, frankly, I thought, shined more than Connor did. And Connor's got the experience that Rena's did not have. Um, I, I still think Connor can be an IndyCar driver. I think he can be an IndyCar race winner. But it's getting to the point, especially now that there's going to be some consistency for the first time in his career, back to back years in this carpenter program. And I think he needs to have a good year just to, to solidify his place there. And, and I, I think he can, I absolutely do. And, and I certainly hope that he does. Who knows? Maybe that mullet will give him a little bit of a good look. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not actually. I hope we're not stuck with that thing, but it's been an interesting topic of conversation here in the last week or so. Uh, but who I had mainly just for who could be on the hot seat. I had Marcus Erickson. i I mean, he, he ran solid um, at times. He had a couple good runs, and I believe he had six or seven top tens around that. But And like I said earlier with Felix Rosenquist, having to be a running mate with Scott Dixon was pretty tough to do. Uh, there were a lot of times, especially during like the middle part of the season, that um, Erickson would he'd kind of taper off. He would have a good run. Something would go wrong. You just have to think other guys that were at Ganassi before, like Chilton and Kimball, those guys – how long of a, do you wait and see, right, is he improving enough? Is he competing for wins? And his only podium has been back in 2019. I was at Detroit for the sec, first or second race. Um, second but, race. I remember yeah. interviewing him there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Erickson, he brings a sponsorship, um, Husky Chocolates. Um, I'm not sure what the contract is with that, but I think he could be a guy that, if he doesn't perform and the I like winners, Chip Ganassi's saying, I don't know how long Erickson could stay there. I think as long as the sponsorship is there and he keeps doing what he's been doing, especially this past year, the first year with Ganassi running in the top 10 more often than not on the fringe of the top 10 in points and bringing a sponsorship package that contributes to the team as a whole. I suspect Chip will be all right with that. I don't think they look at him necessarily as the wingmate to Scott Dixon, I think that's the role they've got envisioned for Polo if he can step up to it. So the sponsorship certainly gives Marcus a bit more of a leash than than some other drivers. But uh, as soon as that goes, and if the results don't improve, then absolutely he's in that conversation. But I'll, I'll be honest, I thought he was pretty impressive last year. And uh, you know his reputation for Formula One was being a better racer than qualifier. And I think that's bit him a little bit in IndyCar. Um, you talk to you hear a lot of drivers talk about the the benefit of starting towards the front Graham Rahal has talked about that a lot due to his struggles in qualifying and I think Pato Award talked about it here recently too looking back on his results and noting it's so much easier if you qualify towards the front in a field this close and I think Marcus falls into that category now definitely help to have another veteran guy on the team with Kanan coming back for the you know, couple races the Oval mm -hmm. specifically but um, yeah, moving on to Indy 500. Hopefully we're able to see a good bit of fans there. I'm hoping to be there myself, but who knows about that so far. We'll see a couple more weeks or months. I don't know. <laughs> um, who do you have as like a potential favorite for the Indy 500 this year? I think this is the hardest thing to predict looking at this field. There are so many good teams so many drivers that that are capable of it. I think we're going to have we're going to assuming they all make the field and that's that is a bit of an assumption, but 
it looks like we could tie the record for most former winners in an Indy 500, which I think is nine, uh, set back in the early 90s. And, and we have the potential of doing that again with Montoya returning to the fold. So you look at those guys, they're all proven winners. And then you look beyond them. And I think Joseph Newgarden is one that jumps to the fore as a non-winner that you think his time is coming. I think Pato Award really impressed last year in his first 500 start that the top Chevy, I believe, but I, I know he finished sixth and was running towards the front for a lot of that race. Um, there, there's a lot of different directions you could go with this, but I think I'm going to pick Joseph Newgarden for the moment. It seems like that's the one thing missing on the resume. He's won more races than anyone else at IndyCar over the last five years. A couple of championships always in the mix. Indy has not been super kind to him, and I suspect he's going to focus his efforts on checking that box because that's really the only glaring hole on his IndyCar resume. And I had Newgarden and a couple other guys, but starting with Newgarden first, he ran. He's been running top five there for a couple of years now, a little bit of bad luck in 2017 with that wreck towards the end, but it seems like he's one of those guys that they could be, it may, you know, it may take a couple of tries, but you know, he's going to focus on that and you know he's going to eventually get that and notch that win just because that's just how relentless of a driver that he is just and it helps to have Penske power behind him and I think yeah his time is definitely coming here soon uh, I had Herta as well I think ran eighth last year uh, gearbox issue the year before but I feel like Herta's one of those guys you're it's going to take it's going to take a lot to stop him <laughs> in this, you know those big races and he's starting to really catch his stride and I think this upcoming season will be a more of a breakout year, even more for him and championship contender, all that. But I also wanted to zero in on Graham Rahal. He's had some good runs. It helps to have two-time Indy 500 winner Takuma Sato as someone to bounce some ideas off of. You know, Rahal finished third last year. I think maybe it could be his time here soon. It just depends on just a lot of variables. But I think those three would be good, you know, shots. Outside of Marco Andretti, I'm not sure there's a single individual for whom this win would mean more. I remember when Alexander Rossi won as a rookie, Graham was pretty outspoken saying, Alex, congratulations, but you'd better take advantage of this and you'd better appreciate the magnitude of what you've accomplished because there are people who spend their whole lives trying to do this. And it's not something that you usually can just walk right into and win. And, and those comments have always stuck with me. And it struck me as someone who really grew up understanding the magnitude of the race, cherishing everything that goes into it and dreaming of emulating his father. And I think that would be a sweet celebration indeed if Graham were to get the breakthrough. It would be really nice. That'd probably be the most like heartfelt like you felt good as especially some, someone being from Indianapolis I'm mm. sure I would really hit home and just be able to see someone that you know, your father won now it's your turn and I think that'd be really cool to see overall um but uh who do you see as a potential upset for the 500 I know that hasn't happened recently but who could kind of shine up there yeah, it's funny because when Takuma won in 17 I think everyone called it an upset but we're having to look back with uh with our revisionist history glasses on. And actually all of a sudden that, that makes a lot more sense than it did at the time. Uh, I, I, maybe you start with, with somebody out of the coin camp. They've been surprisingly fast the, the last several years going back uh, to when Sebastian Bourdais got hurt, but he was on track to qualify on pole. He had a couple of monster laps going before his crash 
and they've been pretty strong in years past. Ed Jones probably should have been the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year in 17, I guess it was, and it went to Alonzo. Uh, but Ed ran up, up at the front, I think finished fourth, despite having some damage. And then, you know, Ferrucci's been great the last two years in a coin car. So it, it just depends on how everybody adapts uh, to, to that and, and, and what kind of car they can put under them this year. But maybe you start in that camp. I'm not, I'm not sure necessarily if it's Pietro Fittipaldi's year to, to step up and do it in his first 500 start. But, you know, that, that might be a, a place to look. And, and, you know, I, would it be an upset if one of the McLaren cars got it done? They aren't really the ones you think of first, but I thought Pato was very impressive last year. Felix has not really taken to the ovals a whole lot to this point in his career, but if there is a track where he seems more at home, I think Indy would be it. So maybe, maybe there. And for whatever reason, I think Marcus Erickson temperamentally is well suited to this, uh, to this, to the speedway and had, had some solid, races going just has had some some crashes and if he can put those together it's kind of out of character for him to have incidents he's known as a finisher and uh, i think he might be one who could wrap his head around this and with the ganassi team put himself in a position to get it done now i remember you mentioned uh bourdais crash back in 2017 um i also remember that race i happened to be there and i remember james davis said he had driven one heck of a race in that mm-hmm. number 18 coin car i think it was a road course car as well and he somehow was up in the lead for a little bit too and that was one of those crazy times where we're like wait could james davison win the 500 but I'm, i would still love to see someone like him kind of come out of the come out of the woodworks and get something but i i've always been cheering for connor daly every year just because noblesville native and just that would mean the most to him and i think Maybe with an Ed Carpenter racing car, he's had a lot of success there the past couple of years, at least with speed-wise. I think he could be someone who could just break through, and he had a, a good run with Andretti in 2019 as well, and that could be somewhere, you know, he could come out of nowhere. Or a, a Jack Harvey, I feel like, always seems to seems to shine when nobody really thinks about him. And I think Harvey, especially going into a full-time season um, for the second year, I believe now, uh, with Meyer Shank Racing, I think that could be an area where they have Andretti affiliate type of equipment, and I think he could shine and surprise a lot of people. And Elio Castrodemis is a teammate, not a bad, not a bad guy to bounce ideas off of, right? Just a couple of championships to that name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then just moving on with that, uh, which driver do you see winning the championship for 2021? So I think the hot pick the last couple of years has been Alexander Rossi. The consensus seems to have been it's he's he's close and just it's his time to break through. But I don't hear people talking about him this year, which is why I think it is his year. Uh, coming off the worst year of his IndyCar career, didn't win a race for the first time in his IndyCar career. I think finished ninth in points, just had a miserable start to the season, but kind of ended trending the right direction st petersburg being an exception that that didn't end so well but in general you look at the back third of the calendar and and it started going the right way and i think he's a bit ticked off with how last year went to be entirely honest and a ticked off alex rossi sounds like a dangerous alex rossi to me i've always yeah but i just thought that was 2019 when uh oriel servia had like blocked him on yep. going down the front stretch <laughs> stick your hand out the window that that was 
one of the craziest things I've seen in an Indy car, but he can, he's definitely one of those guys. You don't want to perk him or there's going to be some trouble. Um, I want a little, I think either a Colton Herta could be one of those guys where he finally is able to put it all together. And I'm still very impressed by how award uh, ran the entire season. He could be a kind of a sleeper um, for the championship. Not really as much since he finished fourth in the points, but you know, he ran really well, had a couple wins slip away and I think he's well due for a really good season. Yeah, I think so. I, I would be stunned if he didn't win at least one race and contends for a championship. Once again, I've been super high on him for a long time, even before his Indy Lights season. Uh, well, I guess he had a truncated Indy Lights season the year before he won the title and then went off and, and ran IMSA. And that's where I, I was doing a lot of work at the time. And so I got to see him do his thing in, in what was a diminished prototype challenge class at the time there were only a couple of cars in his class but he stood out every single time he and James French won all but one race that year they just were denied in the finale of Petit Le Mans and it just I loved his attitude I loved how he attacked and you learn so much running those endurance races you get so much seat time in a 24-hour race alone he probably ran more miles than he did in his entire Indy Lights season. So, And you're working with traffic. You're passing. You're being passed. There's so much benefit from it. You look at a guy like Simon Paginot, who did a year of champ car, went off and, and ran sports cars for a time, and then came back and was a much more well-rounded driver when he did so. So uh, I, I thought that Pato was going to be someone who could challenge Colton Herta for the Lights title when he did come back to Lights that next year. And that's exactly what we saw. It was a great duel between the two. And both of them have been very good in their IndyCar careers. But yeah, don't don't sleep on Pato. I, I you're, you're gonna you asked me to consider a breakout potential, and I I couldn't quite put Pato in that conversation because he did finish fourth in points. But I do think he'll take another step. That team seems primed for it, and uh, he he's an un, undisputed talent. Now, are those heavy hitters like a Scott Dixon or Will Power who are going to contend for a championship? Well, Newgarden as well, can't stop but mm -hmm. name him. Uh, who could potentially be someone that kind of comes out of the woodwork to get into the title hunt and kind of shock some people? How about awards teammate Felix Rosenquist, who seems to be flying under the radar right now? The team seems strong. I think those two are going to be a good tandem. And the other side of this is... I think the schedule shapes up better for Felix this year than it did in the past. Now, last year, there were six ovals. We're down to four this year. And as I said earlier, not really Felix's strong suit, at least to this point in his IndyCar career. But the other thing that is worth noting, to, up to his IndyCar career, he was known as a master of street course races. He won the Macau Grand Prix two times. He won on the Norris Ring in DTM. He won on street courses and Indy Lights and in open wheel racing coming up in Europe. There weren't many street courses last year due to COVID. And so we've got a bunch more on the calendar this year. That should be where he excels. That plus a team that seems to have some momentum behind it, a lot of resources behind it. I think you probably saw the pictures of them testing with the F1 style uh, aero, whatever apparatus that was on the car. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, you don't see that in IndyCar all that often. So there clearly is a big push behind this program to, to jump up and join the big three or or dis, displace one of the big three and, and become part of it. Right. Uh, I think he is one who's flying under the radar a little bit and very well could be a contender. 
I had to go, I couldn't choose between the two. So I just said all of Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I feel mm-hmm. like they're, they're close to being in that big three, like you mentioned, or displacing one or becoming making the big four or whatever you want to call it. Um, but Sato, he's always a threat at any of the ovals and road courses. He always seems to really take a liking to as well. And sometimes his no attack, no chance motto can kind of get him into a little bit of trouble, but I think he's kind of scaled that back a little bit more over the years. Uh, Graham, had three podiums and nine top tens last year. I think they're both, they're just, they're almost there. There's a tick under these, you know, like the team Penske and Chip Ganassi guys, but they, they could be, if they can get more consistent all around, I think they might be able to challenge as well. Yeah, I agree. They've been right there for a while. I mean, you go back, it's been a little bit now, five, six years, and Graham was in the championship hunt going into the finale and, it seems like they, they are on that cusp, and I'm not sure what you got to do to take that next step because they do seem stalled in this, in this place in the pecking order. But, uh, you know, you, you can't argue with their runs at the Speedway in recent years, and it seems like they're good for a win or two every year from either Takuma or Graham, if not both. So why not? They, they also seem to be well-financed, and, and maybe this is the year they take uh, the, the step into the upper echelon. And it'd also be really cool to have them win in a couple of those throwback uh, liveries that they have going mm-hmm. on. That'd be really cool. <laughs> uh, let's see. And then there were a couple drivers who impressed in the rookie season or they kind of came out of nowhere. Who do you see as just someone who could have a breakout year? Jack Harvey is my pick. He did not have the results commensurate with his speed going back to last season. I think he had the fifth best qualifying average of the entire IndyCar field, but just never could quite convert that oftentimes due to circumstances out of his control. I heard him speaking recently about uh, having a a brake failure at one of the road America races while running towards the front. And you just don't see that in IndyCar racing very often and and getting caught out by yellows and things like that. This is a team that is on the upswing. They've got an influx in cash. You would have to believe with the partnership that, uh, that they ha- agreed to with Liberty Media, which owns F1, but they bought into this team and, and they also own uh, Sirius XM, which is the major sponsor on the team. And that's allowed them to bring in a second car for part of the season. Having Elio Castroneves experience, I think will be very beneficial, especially at IMS. But then, as you mentioned earlier, the link up with Andretti Autosport, so crucial. Uh, I think Jack is one guy who doesn't get enough credit for how much he has improved and done so with a smaller team as a one car effort by and large. Yes. With a technical relationship and yes, being able to share data, but it's not quite the same. And I think he's just impressed me every step of the way. And it seems like this is the year where they can break through and contend for some race wins and talk, hearing uh, Michael Shank talk about it. That's exactly what they expect to do. And I had also had Harvey on my list as well. And he, like you mentioned, he was always so stellar in qualifying there. You know, he'd be in the top, you know, contending for the fast six. And mm-hmm. you're always like surprised. Wow. Wow. Like he's competing with these higher you know, echelon type of teams. And then, you know, he did a fantastic job, especially in Meyer Shank's first full-time season in IndyCar. And then, like I mentioned before, the Andretti Autosport, having that connection and being able to feed off of those guys and then having Elio as a kind of a running mate to bounce ideas off. And I think, He's always been like a sleeper on a bunch of the ovals and Indianapolis I mentioned earlier. Um, I think his road course, their road course program has been top notch. And if it wasn't for a couple 
you know, like you said, with the road America, uh, like brake failures, all these little tweaks and things that don't normally happen. I think he could easily be in the top 10 and really just contend for a bunch of wins. And we go back to 2019 when he had that third place run at uh, the road course in Indianapolis. And that was one of those crazy races. And yeah, I think he could be for, he could be in for a really good year. And was one of my favorite races to be on the radio broadcast for. It was mixed conditions, started raining towards the end. What do you do with tires? And our our turn announcers are so good. We got through the last round of pit stops, and I was just in enraptured listening to the call of that race. It was it was one of the the highlights of of my broadcast career. I, I loved every minute of that one. And uh, yeah, that that was what that was his highlight to this point in his career. But there are more coming. I, I do believe in his talent and. That team has built slow and steady, but they built the right way, and I think they're they're ready. And in light of COVID nineteen, it's really been a big good of changes, and just overall for the entire world, uh, IndyCar made it through the season last season, uh, despite all having schedule changes and kind of move things around, get some races off the off the table because of COVID stuff. But how do you think the sport as a whole handled it? What do you see for them moving forward as we're hoping to get out of this year soon? Well, without being privy to the finances, I mean, that's, that's the one caveat to this, right? Because I, I do believe that, that they took a pretty big hit, but I think the good news is that the teams didn't. And for the overall health of the series, I think the series can, can take that hit and Penske in particular can take that hit better than the individual teams can. There's some promoters I'm worried about. Green Savory in particular were hit remarkably hard last year, promoting Portland and St. Pete and Toronto and Mid-Ohio. Now, Mid-Ohio was somewhat less affected, but still didn't get the same kind of crowd they normally would. Same just same for St. Pete. And then two of the events canceled entirely. At, and, and Toronto very much uh, is a concern at the moment with some of the COVID regulations we've seen out of Canada here recently. And, and some things are going to have to change for that event to go off as scheduled. But nevertheless, I think all things considered, the fact that the sport came out actually with more cars on the grid on a full-time basis this year, plus additional part-timers, a very real possibility of 35, 36 cars for the Indy 500, sponsorship, seems pretty solid. Uh, TV interest seems good, all things considered. I, I think it's miraculous the way that the series weathered the storm. And, and I do, uh, it's, everybody's been saying it, but it's because it's true. It starts at the top and uh, Roger Penske was a steady hand on the tiller. Have there been mistakes? I think there have in, in some instances, but that's, that's the nature of trying to navigate through uncharted waters. Nobody had a playbook for what we saw last year. And by and large, I think the series handled it quite well and is remarkably healthy on the other side. And if things continue to trend the way they are now, then by the end of this season, we can hope for something approaching normal and regular. And uh, maybe that sets us up for an even stronger 2022. Looking forward past this COVID and once that all dies down, just how does the sport continue just to surge forward in this gaining popularity and interest? It's a tough question, and that, that is the question, because there's nothing wrong with the product. The racing is as good as you'll find anywhere. There's nothing wrong with the personalities. The drivers are fascinating, and even beyond the drivers, there's plenty of interesting people in the paddock. But how do you get people's attention? And I don't have the answer to that. I don't know if anybody entirely does. 
I think the crucial thing is going to be navigating the new chassis engine combination when it comes online, trying to deal with the hybrid aspect of things without letting costs get ridiculously out of whack, and finding a way to at least keep Honda and Chevy interested because in addition to providing the engines, their marketing dollars are crucial to keeping the series in the public eye. And if there's a way to entice a third OEM, and I, I don't know where it comes from. I know the series has been close a couple of times. Porsche has been very highly publicized. I know that Lamborghini was really, really close going back to 2017, I think it was. Um, and I think there were a couple others along the way that were in varying stages of, of assessing IndyCar as a possible option. And then for whatever reason, going elsewhere, if there's a way to, to get a third, just to get the pressure off of the two existing engine suppliers and to add to the marketing pool, it's, it would be a huge break for, for the series. And I know Jay Fry and company are working hard at it. I hope that, uh, that they can get a breakthrough, but even if they can't keep Honda and Chevy in the fold and the rest of things, I, I think they will take care of themselves, uh, especially if the TV deal can be worked out. That's the other crucial leg of this stool you have to make sure that, that there's a way for people to, to watch. And that's not just true in the States, but I know Canada has suffered a little bit in recent years, not having a great TV package there. It seems like things are progressing, but making sure that the series is as well positioned as possible going into these TV negotiations is going to be critical. And you mentioned just with me, the, the content itself, you, my opinion, you can't get any better racing content besides sports cars. I've always loved watching that. I've been fascinated mm -hmm. by that over the years, but the content on the racetrack and then off the racetrack, the drivers, they have top-notch personalities. I feel like you can't find a better diverse set of personalities. We got guys like Elio all over the top and just as excited as possible about the sport and guys who kind of like were Rossi and just kind of like the, the villain per se of that kind of nature. But I think just those combined with TV deal and continuing to just get more out with social media, which like you mentioned, they seem to be really starting to, add some more content on. And I think just as well, um, third OEM is definitely a big part of that. And I think just, I think I lost the point. Um, <laughs> if you're able to um, bring in, uh, what's the word? I forgot about it, but uh, yeah, third OEM. And if you're able to just continue to bring spark and interest TV deal and just any way possible with that, it's just, it's the cat and mouse game just because you got, in the NFL, you know, it's always going to be really high up NBA, all these other sports. And I think it's just finding a way to, Hey, how can we make this interesting to where viewers want to watch it and want to bring people into the racetrack. And I think NASCAR, they've found some kind of formula the past couple of months, past year, and they've really thrived on that. And I think if IndyCar could have that same type of, I guess, spark, then maybe they're able to continue to move that forward. Yeah. Well, with anything with racing, I think, it's, it's it's such an experiential sport. You can watch it on TV, you can listen on the radio, but there's nothing like being there in person to get the real sense of things. And that's probably the area where 2020 sets us back in in the biggest way. But you know, if you're a, if you're a fan of whatever form of racing it might be, grab a friend who shows just even a passing interest, get him out to the track, and I bet you you can convert somebody and. And that's what it's going to take. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to have the, the ability to hopefully have fans back at, at the racetracks and hopefully for the Indy 500, I've got 14 tickets up in turn three that we've had for quite a while. And it's, 
this tradition to bring new people, new fans, new friends to, to experience the whole thing. And almost without exception, they come with a newfound or they leave with a newfound appreciation for it. Maybe they don't become hardcore fans, but they'll check in on it from time to time. And, and that's a big part of it too. So hopefully we can get back to some of that this year and, and continue to grow, not just uh, IndyCar racing, but motorsports generally. And you mentioned just about having, you know, getting more fans out to the track itself. It was funny over the pandemic when it started, uh, my fiance, she was like, what's this IndyCar stuff type of thing? <laughs> and then uh, if we started watching a couple of races and then she started getting into it, I think the first mm-hmm. race that she had watched was the Road America Award versus Rosenquist. And that was a good one. And and she's listening to the podcast because I guess she's supposed to do that. Um, <laughs> um, but um, but it, and uh, she's to the point where I really want to go to the Indy 500. That seems like a really big marquee event that I've explained to her because I've been there. A couple, actually, 2017 is the only time. And just you feel the rush like no other sporting event can really give you. And and she's all on board. And I think if I can continue to, you know, do stuff like that, you can get more people involved. I think just everyone in general, just fans alike, just to get their friends, family, whoever it is, to say, take, just, I'll take you along to see what kind of happens. Well, if you make it out my way, you let me know and we'll make sure that, uh, that you get all hooked up. All right. <laughs> that sounds perfect. <laughs> it was awesome uh, talking to you, Ryan, and I appreciate all of your support. Um, just your, your help with uh, the podcast and just my career it means a lot. And just to have uh, someone like you to kind of bounce ideas off of. Well, it's pretty wild to be in this, on this side of things because <laughs> it was, uh, it was just 10 years ago. I graduated from college and was trying to find a way to, make a career in motorsports broadcasting. And I always told myself if I ever happened to get to do the stuff I dreamed of doing, then anything I can do to help others get to achieve it, uh, I'm going to do because it is such a fun way to make your living. It's such a fun career. And I've, I've been so lucky to do really, really neat things. And I hope others get to, to experience that as well. And it sounds like you're on the right path and enjoying the stuff that you've been producing. And I think we'll be hearing a lot from you in the future. That means a lot, man. Uh, thank you. And and uh, yeah, hopefully you're able to uh, continue to uh, enjoy this play-by-play and everything else with the SRO. And good luck with this, the season with uh, IndyCar Radio and just everything else that... Or also, what is the AWS? Uh, <laughs> what's the... Is it- oh, boy. Yeah, so uh, Amazon Web Services, AWS. <laughs> this is the strangest thing that I've stumbled into in my career, and it's been such a blessing. But... Uh, <laughs> This is effectively the, the AWS Deep Racer League. It's basically a competition for computer programmers to program these 118th scale, uh, effectively remote control cars, but to become self-driving cars. And there's some uh, obstacle avoidance elements to it and, and using their camera. This is all beyond my ability to comprehend, by the way. I just like memorize my talking points. That, but these people are orders of magnitude smarter than I'll ever be. But, but it's amazing what they could do with these little things and make them zip around the track. And it all started because um, one of the execs from Amazon Web Services was at one of our SRO races and gave the command to start engines. I was the pit reporter at the time, introduced him for giving the command for the broadcast. And a Facebook friend request comes out of nowhere. And luckily, I remembered his name. And said yes, because this has turned into a really good side gig for me traveling. They had me traveling the world doing some of these events for them. And uh, that's been been really cool. Taking 
kind of a motorsports background to this computer programming side of things and trying to make their events feel like a big time racing event. And I've really enjoyed the, the opportunity to do that. And it looks like that's going to be starting up again here soon this year. It, it's the stuff that you never envision yourself doing. I, could, I couldn't have even come up with the idea. I didn't know it existed, but uh, luckily they thought of me and it's been a, a fun journey. I've always kind of wondered, like I've seen on like the Twitter, Instagram account, like what in the world is this? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought the first time I saw it too, in fairness. And I, I, you know, objectively, it looks a little bit silly. I mean, these cars driving themselves around, sometimes they don't work quite as well as they should and go straight into a wall or something like that. But the, the, the people who can really program these things, it's, it's impressive uh, what they've been able to build and they take it incredibly seriously. The competition aspect of it is no different than an IndyCar weekend or a sports car weekend or what have you. Just the stakes are a little bit different. But one cool crossover that they did during the pandemic actually was getting uh, F1 driver Daniel Ricciardo and uh, Tatiana Calderon, who does some sports car racing and is an F1 reserve driver for Alfa Romeo and I think raced in Super Formula some last year too. They got them involved and they were programming their cars and they, I, so they had me kind of hosting this, this little show that they did on YouTube about it and getting to work with those two was a hoot to say the least. I'm sure Ricardo has always been one of the more big personalities that formula one absolutely needs. Yep. And, yep. <laughs> um, that those are just those kind of like little things I've read other places where someone will even broadcast fishing or that kind of thing. Sure. Some of like those things you're like, That'd be really weird, but like also fun. And they're probably some of the most memorable broadcasts you'll ever have. Well, anything to challenge yourself and step out of the comfort zone. It's like we were talking about with Jimmy Johnson, right? It's I, I view it the same way, and maybe I'm not as good at it, but you know, you learn a, th- a, th- a thing or two that you can apply to the day job, and um, it's been it's been really exciting. So, you know, one one piece of advice I'd give is. If an opportunity comes, say yes and figure out how to do it later. Yeah. And y- you never know what uh, what happy accident you might stumble into. I'll say one more thing. I'll let you go. As yeah. you mentioned about just happy little accidents, like I had just, um, it was a couple of years ago and I had to do, they put randomly put me on a hockey, like for a mm-hmm. hockey broadcast. I'd never really watched hockey much in my life. Never really knew much about broadcasting. And I get on with the play-by-play and was like, all right. Uh, you know, you try to prepare as much as you can and you never are prepared until nope. that time and place. And then you have to kind of go through the growing pains of, oh, I shouldn't have said that or just, mm-hmm. you know, you look back at it, but it's just kind of fun. It's gotten a lot easier, but just stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. Most most professions, to some degree, at least, you can learn how to do it from a book. This is not one. You have to do it. You have to screw up and you have to screw up publicly. Unfortunately, that's part of the job, too. But, you know, you're, you're going about it the right way and just do as much as you can experience as much as you can and uh, and, and learn along the way. And, and you'll be better off for it in the long run. I appreciate you uh, taking the time, Ryan. And uh, obviously, we'll be in touch here at random points. And um, I look forward to, you know, hopefully seeing you at the track uh, here soon. And we can reconnect there as well. But uh, good luck the rest of the season just with SRO, uh, the AWS. It is AWS, correct? Or how was the turnout? That is right. You got it. (laughs) Um, And just for IndyCar Radio. But thank you for coming on, man. Pleasure is mine. You have a good day. You too. Oh, my God.
hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Behind the Catch Fence with special guest Ryan Moren. It's always a joy being able to get fantastic insight on the IndyCar series just from the best reporters in the business, and Ryan is certainly in that category. Ryan has such a diverse background, and it's always amazing just to hear his insight, just being able to be on pit lane and just being involved in the sport as he is. It's always, it's just always such a pleasure to hear his uh, voice and his opinions, but I admire just his expertise and hard work that he puts into motorsports. And I wish him nothing but the best as the season continues with the SRO and then IndyCar in April as that starts back up. I'd like to thank Ryan once again for coming on to the podcast. We're just about out of time for today's episode, so look out for more interviews and content over the next couple weeks. Uh, next week is a very, very big week to say the least for Behind the Catch Fence. We have a couple big name drivers, some that may just be even fit for a king. That's all I'm going to say. You guys can kind of figure that out, kind of read in between the lines. Let's just say there's a couple championships between these two guys. Uh, Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Behind Catch. Thank you guys for listening. I'll catch you later.